Do please keep uh, your Bibles open at that passage that was read to us from Mark's Gospel, page 1002, if you've already closed them. I wonder, as we embark on a new year, what you think about New Year's resolutions. Personally, I'm not a great fan of them because I'm so bad at keeping them. But I am not alone, apparently. According to a recent study, uh, 80% of New Year's resolutions are abandoned by the second week of February. As the old joke goes, a New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. A very popular New Year's resolution, you may have seen this uh, in places, is to give up on social media. If you're on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, maybe that's something that you've considered this year. I'm reminded of the lady who decided for her New Year's resolution to give up on Facebook and instead to try and make friends in real life using the same principles. So every day she walked down the street and told passers-by what she'd eaten, how she felt, what she did the night before, and what she was going to do the next day. Then she shared pictures of her family and her cat and of her gardening. She also listened into their conversations and told them that she loved them. And it did actually work, because very quickly there were three people following her. You're way ahead of me on this. Yes, it was two police officers and a psychiatrist. One New Year's resolution we should all have as Christians is to be more like Jesus. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, which uh, many of you will have read, we looked at, uh, uh, at it last year, Rick Warren writes this, discipleship is the process of conforming to Christ. Christ-likeness is your eventual destination, but your journey will last a lifetime. I hope you remember the core values which we've adopted here at St. Mary's. Here they are, nurturing biblical faith, offering gospel hope, showing Christ-like love. And in many ways, the key word is Christ-like. Because we will make these values a reality in our lives as followers of Jesus, a reality in our corporate life as the family uh, of the church family here in St. St. Mary's, if we seek to imitate in the power of the Holy Spirit the faith, the hope, and the love of Jesus. For he is our model. Which is why it's good sometimes to step away from doctrine and theology and ecclesiology and pneumatology and all the other ologies that we um, tend to talk about and focus our thoughts and our minds and our studies on a single person, the person of Jesus Christ. And a great place to start, a great place as we seek in this new year to learn more about Jesus, to become more like Jesus, a great place is Mark's gospel. Now, Mark's gospel, Mark himself, as you may know, was was not one of the disciples, but his gospel is thought to be the first gospel that was written, maybe 30 years or so after Christ's death. And it was written on the basis of eyewitness testimony, probably from Peter, to whom Mark was said to be close. So Mark's gospel has an immediacy and a vibrancy about it that marks it out from other Gospels, if you forgive the pun. 
And Mark's gospel is all about Jesus. In fact, as Edward has, has, has noted, he says as much, Mark, in the, beginning of the, the very beginning of the gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This gospel is all about the good news that is Jesus. That's why we were handing out copies of Mark's gospel at our Christmas services. That's why the gospel of Mark provides the basis for the Christianity Explored discipleship course, which we often run here at St. Mary's. That's why we're doing the Mark drama uh, immediately before Easter this year. Information evening, this Thursday. Come along. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. It's just 16 chapters, but it is jam-packed with the life of Jesus. In fact, the pace of Mark's narrative is almost breathless. Things happen immediately or, or with equivalent urgency over 40 times in this Gospel. Just look at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. As soon as. Mark is in a hurry to tell us about Jesus. That is his mission. But in fact, taking Mark's gospel as a whole, Mark has two goals. Because his, his gospel divides very neatly into two halves. It's a game of two halves, a gospel of two halves, and each has a specific focus. The first half, which leads up to the middle of chapter 8, is all about establishing who Jesus really is. Who is this man? What is his authority? Why has he come? And then in chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus predicts for the first time, and much to the consternation of his disciples, he predicts his own death. And the rest of the gospel is about his journey to the cross of Calvary. Mark's passion narrative later on in this gospel is in many ways the most moving of all the passion narratives in the gospels. Why? Because it focuses on Jesus's deep, profound suffering for our sakes. In fact, Mark only devotes just a few verses to the resurrection right at the end of chapter 16. So in the second half of the gospel, Mark is asking a second question. Why did Jesus come to die? So Mark, in his gospel, is posing really important questions for us today. Who is this Jesus? What is his authority? Why did he suffer and die? Big, big questions. And so, as Edward has said, on Sunday mornings, over the next few weeks and months, right up until Easter Day, we're going to be considering these questions by looking at Mark's gospel. And we're going to be looking at, each Sunday, at a particular question which emerges from the text. Either a question asked by Jesus or a question asked of Jesus by those whom he met. In fact, and you may have noticed this if you've read the Gospels, questions are a big feature of the Gospels. Somebody once estimated that um, Jesus asks 307 questions in the Gospels, 307 questions, and that 183 questions are asked of him, only a handful of which he answers directly. In fact, in most cases, often he, he answers a question with his own counter-question. 
So questions are a big feature of the Gospels, and Mark's Gospel is no exception. That's why we've called this sermon series, Edward's called it, very clever this, Question Mark. Do you get that? See what we did there? And this morning's question, it's in verse 24, just look at it with me. What do you want with us? What do you want with us? But before we come to that, let's just look at this whole section of Mark's first chapter. Because the, the gospel's main object, the writer's main objective, as in the rest of this first half of the gospel, is to establish beyond any doubt, any doubt, the divine authority and kingship of Jesus. Jesus announces the coming of the kingdom of God, verses 14 to 15. He calls his first disciples, verses 16 to 20. In fact, he doesn't invite them. The original Greek is actually much more forceful than that. Come, follow me. It's a command. Jesus summons his disciples with authority. As he summons us with authority, come, follow me. He then drives out an impure spirit, verses 21 through to 29, 28. He heals people, verses 29 to 34. He preaches again and drives out yet more demons, verses 35 to 39. Who else, who else can perform miraculous healings, drive out demons, preach with authority, command our obedience with authority? Who else than God himself? In fact, the authority of Jesus is so great that the people are amazed. Do you see that word? It appears twice. Jesus is teaching in, with authority in the synagogue in Capernaum. And, and Mark notes that not just once, but twice, verses 22 and verses 27, that the people were amazed. In fact, the word amazed uh, does not really do justice to the original Greek. It more has a sense of being blown away. The people were blown away by Jesus, by his person, by his teaching, by his healings, by his authority. Maybe, just maybe, we 21st century Christians have become a little too cosy and comfortable with this Jesus. We've crafted him into our own image rather than seeing him for whom he really is. Are we blown away by Jesus today? If not, maybe we just need to look at him afresh. Maybe we need to sit down and read Mark's gospel Once again, it's only 16 chapters. You can do it in a single sitting. Another New Year's resolution. But back to our question. Jesus is in the synagogue in Capernaum. There's a man who's possessed by an impure spirit. He cries out, or rather the evil spirit within him, cries out when confronted by this rabbi who teaches with such amazing authority. He cries out, verse 24, What do you want... With us, Jesus of Nazareth. And then oddly, the evil spirit seems to answer his own question. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now what's immediately striking about this question is that even though there were people in the synagogue gathering to worship God, they're amazed by Jesus and his teaching, his authority, It is only, only the evil spirit who truly recognizes who Jesus is. He's the Holy One of God. 
who has come to destroy the power of evil in the world. Sometimes, even when the reality of Jesus hits us right between the eyes, just as it did sometimes with the disciples in Mark's Gospel, sometimes we, like the disciples, don't truly get who Jesus really is. But the evil spirit is under no such illusions. In fact, did you notice that the evil spirit even talks in the first person plural? What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? This evil spirit recognizes with some terror that the Holy One of God poses an existential threat, not just to this particular spirit, but to all the evil powers and principalities in the world. And Jesus demonstrates his divine power by casting out the evil spirit, not with some incantation or or a ritual or some long formula, this magic formula like you see in the films, but with six short but stern words. Verse 25. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. Be quiet. Come out of him. Now, I'm not going to recommend the 1973 film, The Exorcist, from the pulpit. Please don't go and see it. But what I can tell you is that it lasts over two hours. Jesus casts out a demon in two seconds with six short words of authority. The man shudders, verse 26, and the spirit comes out of him with a shriek. Now, of course, Jesus does not destroy evil spirits and demons absolutely. They are still present in the world today. In fact, the Greek word used for destroy here does not mean to annihilate, but rather it means to ruin, to devastate, to take away their power. Jesus takes away the power of evil, of Satan, in our lives. And he does so by taking away Satan's power to hold us sinners to debt, to the debt, to account for our sins and rebellion against God. Paul puts it brilliantly in his letter to the Colossians. Chapter 2 and verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I love that image. Jesus making a public spectacle of the powers and authorities. The death and resurrection of Jesus, for our sake, has the effect of disarming the devil so that he, the devil, has no more power over our lives. And just as the man, possessed of an evil spirit, shudders in our gospel passage when the demon comes out of him, did you know that the evil spirits still shudder today? If you don't believe me, look up James in his letter, chapter 2 and verse 19. James writes this, You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons are shuddering today. The evil spirits are disarmed and disempowered and they shudder still because Jesus, the Son of God, has overcome them. He's taken away their power over us. But we can only avail ourselves of that freedom from the power of the devil in our lives if we accept Jesus into our hearts, if we accept his invitation, his command, verse 17, come, follow me. So why are these demons shuddering? Why are they shuddering in this man when they are cast out? Why are they shuddering today? Well, 
I can think of at least four reasons, and they are all in our gospel passage this morning. First reason, demons shudder at the preaching of Jesus. We read in verse 22 that the people saw that Jesus taught as one who has authority, not as the teachers of the law. You see, Jesus didn't need to refer to old rabbinical writings or old texts like the teachers of the law. He did sometimes refer to the Old Testament, but his word alone was authoritative. Why? Because, of course, Jesus is the word. John chapter 1, as we heard at Christmas, the very revelation of God. Secondly, demons shudder today at the purpose of Jesus. The evil spirits knew then, and they know now, that Jesus has come to destroy them, to destroy their power. In fact, the Apostle John says as much in his first letter. We looked at this, you may remember, uh, before Christmas. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Thirdly, demons shudder because of the person of Jesus the person of the Son of God. I know who you are, the evil one says, the Holy One of God. Demons shudder because they know that they are confronted by God himself. And finally, demons shudder because they are overwhelmed by the power of Jesus. The power that means that six short words, a two-second rebuke, verse 25, that is all that Jesus needs to cast them out. The preaching of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the power of Jesus. These are what Mark wants to highlight for us in his gospel. These are what should be blowing us away today. So in this epiphany season, let's give thanks, as John puts it in his letter, that the Son of God came into the world to destroy the devil's work. But perhaps, as I close, we should also reflect more profoundly on this question asked by the evil spirit. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Because if you think about it, it's a question asked by the world today, isn't it? And it's a question which we should be asking as followers of Jesus. What do you want with us, Jesus? The world, for its part, asks this question because it cannot see the relevance of Jesus. In fact, the literal translation is, what are you to us, Jesus? What is there between you and us? That's how you would translate that. And the world asks the same question. Because unlike those shuddering demons, the world ignores the preaching of Jesus. All those countercultural teachings like forgiving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. What is all that about? The world just can't get Jesus's teaching. The world ignores the purpose of Jesus to come and save us from our sins and the power of Satan. The world ignores the person of Jesus, the very Son of God. And it ignores the power of Jesus, which is the power of the almighty God, creator of heavens and earth. And for ourselves, as followers of Christ, that question, what do you want with us, Jesus, is also relevant, isn't it? What is Jesus asking of us as individuals? What is he asking you? What is he asking me? Do we fully grasp his preaching, his purpose, his person, his power? Are we blown away by this Jesus revealed to us in this gospel? 
At one level, the answer to that question, what do you want of us, Jesus, is very clear. In fact, it's in our gospel reading, verse 15. The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. If we're here in church this morning, or we're watching online, and we have already repented and believed the good news, then praise the Lord. But let's not cease in trying day by day to get to know Jesus better, to become more like him. And if we've not yet repented and believed here in church, watching online, then it is not too late. The time has come, verse 15, for this Jesus is truly amazing. He will blow you away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus into the world to destroy the devil's work. We thank you for his authoritative, amazing preaching, for his singular purpose to save us, for his divine person as your son, and for his amazing power that triumphed over the forces of evil in the world. May we be blown away by him day by day, and may we become more like him in the year to come, in the power of your spirit. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.